0: Let's turn in our Bibles, your phone, your tablet, whatever you may have. Let's go to the scripture, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. We're in the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, It's a season of preparation. It's a time, you all, when we say we we let the scripture uh, cultivate our heart, till the soil of our heart, such that our hearts are prepared to receive Christ, what we'll celebrate uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Our Advent theme this year, as you'll note, is make room, by way of review, we, we, we started by revisiting the Christmas story and in that Christmas narrative, we, we note in there that contrary to the no vacancy signs that we think about in Bethlehem, that it's far more likely that Mary and Joseph were actually welcomed into a relative's home. And yes, there were animals in the front part of that home. You remember we talked about that, but someone made room For them. We then talked about making room for disappointment. Remember, I talked about that with you of that gap between our reality and our expectations. And quite frankly, at Christmas, it gets, it just comes exponentially, doesn't it, in many ways? And that gap's disappointment. So, what does it mean to make room for disappointment such that disappointment reminds us? It's only Christ who can satisfy and fill that gap. The gospel's for the world. So last week, Rob and Nate and Brittany Bruins set up here to remind us that the gospel calls us to make room for others, to make room for strangers. The gospel is given to us that we might give it to others, and we do as we make room for them. Now, what's required in all instances of make room is this thing called faith. Biblical faith, belief, and trust. There's no better definition for it, I think, than the one we get in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. As beautiful as that is, y'all, for me, I read it and I go, and can you give me a little more? Can you give me an example? Can, Can you make this tangible? So I go, okay, that's what it looks like. That in part is what brings us to our text today. We're at the prequel of what we will celebrate Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, we're gonna read about Jesus's birth. Our text today is the announcement of his conception throughout church, church history, known, of course, as the Annunciation. Spotlight in the text, y'all, is not so much on, on uh, Jesus as it is on Mary, the circumstances that she experienced. I will say this about Mary, and you'll know I'll impact this later. While some tend to think too highly of Mary, which I think is error, some tend to think too little, and it's an equal error. And what we wanna try and do today is let the text give us the Goldilocks mean (laughs) just right. Here's what we think of Mary. In Mary, we actually have an example par excellence of Hebrews 11, 1, of what it means to have biblical faith, what it looks like and how we see it in real life. She, honestly, it's a model for our faith. And what she does is she prepares us not just to receive, celebrate his birth, but it's this kind of faith that enables you and I to follow him, y'all. To follow him our whole life, regardless of the cost. So, two weeks ago, we were we were in the passage just prior to the one we're going to step into. It's gonna be, you're going to see it's very important that we keep that in mind. Um, that was the announcement of John the Baptist's conception, right? Not his birth, conception. When you read this text, and 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 you've read it before, you know maybe you haven't this year, but. When you read what we're getting ready to read, it's like deja vu. It, it's like, we, wait, we just read that in the previous, previous verses. Let me give you five markers of that. Think about the John, the John the Baptist conception story and think about what we're getting ready to read, which you've read before. There's an angel, his name is Gabriel. There's a message, there's gonna be a miraculous pregnancy. There's a response, troubled, fearful. There's the naming of the child, John, Jesus. There's this description of what the child will be and do, John, Jesus. And then there's this sign that God's gonna do what he just said he would do. For Zechariah, it was, he was silent. For Mary, we won't unpack this, but for her, it was her cousin her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy when she was barren. So it's it's like, wait, this is the same story just told over with different characters, yes. And when a biblical author puts two stories side by side like this, y'all, there's a message. Now here's what's key. It's not in the similarities, it's in the differences. And so it's like one of those picture puzzles, right? Where you, here's a drawing, Here's a drawing. Can you see what's different between the two? That's really what we're gonna do. And I'll tell you the differences between the two, And we're gonna focus, and it's gonna point us to Mary in this passage. It's gonna help us unlock, okay, what is it about her faith that we too can emulate? We don't have to to wait long because here come the differences right out of the chute. Look in your Bibles. Look at verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, in the sixth month. Now, it's not the sixth month of the year. We're gonna see later. It's gonna say at the back end of the story, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So right out of the shoots, what Luke is saying is, we're not done with the Zachariah Elizabeth story you see that? So, so right there, he's, he's saying, you gotta keep these two stories connected because I want you to hold them up side by side and see what's happening. I've got a chart. I'm just gonna walk you through. There's probably more we could unpack, but here, here are the big things I see when we go, okay, what, what just happened in those two verses that we see are different? Well, we've got Zechariah and Mary contrasted. On the left, Zechariah. Note the story of Zechariah is, is in Judea. Y'all, this is the heartland. Of Israel. This is where the majority of God's work through the millennial millennia have, ha, has occurred. For Mary, this story says uh, Gabriel went to Galilee. You know, this is not the heartland, this is the outlying area. Uh, in, in, in Galilee, they were, there were Jews who had married non Jews. There's always a sense of contempt about Galilee. It's interesting. By the way, Jesus, made the, Jesus chooses Galilee as his headquarters. Isn't that interesting? In in, in Zechariah's story, it's like this. You know, it starts good, it gets better. He's in Jerusalem. Oh my, we've gone from our area to the city, the city of God. For Mary, it says, and he went to Nazareth. We're now in a backwater, nowhere, village. Quite frankly, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, do you remember when Nathaniel, you know, when, when the, Nathaniel's called his disciple and said, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? I've got it up here. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what people thought of Nazareth. Oh, it gets better for Zechariah. It's not just in, the te- in Jerusalem. It occurs in the temple. You see how we've come to the very, center of where man meets God. It gets worse, so to speak, for Mary, because we find ourselves in a peasant home. You say, well, how do you use a peasant home? Because they were very poor, because there's there's really not much in Nazareth. Kent Hughes, modern-day commentator, writes, she's a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere which reminds you of Nowhere Town, right? Carl and them, as they they wrote that musical that we've done over the years. And then let's take the two people, and I wanna be so careful when I say this. Zachariah, older man, priest, righteous before God, blameless. Mary, young woman, y'all, she's probably between 12 and 14. We don't know exactly, it doesn't matter. Wow, that's young to us, 12 to 14. She's a girl, she's unmarried. And again, with trying to navigate and and thread the needle on our cultural moment, the context in that day is patriarchal. And so there's this sense of, you know, he's an older man and he's religious and she's just a girl. And I don't say it to devalue, but to say that's the context of our biblical redemptive story. They, couldn't, they, they just couldn't be more different. They're, what we wanna look at is, okay, here, here's Zechariah and there's Mary. And we wanna go, well, how did they both respond to the word, the message of the angel? It's in their responses that we find our lessons in faith. Look at 28 to 30. We're just gonna work our way through the story Speaking of Gabriel, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel tells us that Mary is blessed, God's with her, she's found favor, favor, the root of that is grace. Mary, you've been graced by God. Well, grace, the unmerited, unearned, kindness of God. She's the recipient of grace. That's what the text says. Now, let me say a few words about thinking too highly of Mary. And I say them with great respect and and, and humility. But I say it because there are many in the room and many online who, who, who come to faith in Christ out of a Catholic background, a Catholic home. And I mentioned earlier thinking too highly, and I think, I think out of that is, is, is thinking that is thinking, is elevating Mary too high. Um, the, the Latin Vulgate, this is fourth century translation of the Hebrew, Hebrew text into Latin by the church, translates verse 28, and you'll be familiar with this. Verse 28 says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Latin Vulgate translates it, hail Mary, and what's the next phrase? Full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. Mary, full of grace. The biblical text, it it seems, is pretty clear that Mary is the recipient of God's grace, not Full of grace and grace that she would dispense. One of the most preeminent Catholic scholars, uh, Raymond Brown, he notes, you know, on this phrase: if if Luke wanted to say Mary's full of grace, there were Greek words to literally say it that way, but he doesn't. And and may I say, there's so much you could say here, but 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 the Catholic Church comes to this. Mariology and their their view of Mary, quite frankly, and and they would even say, because I don't think you can get where they get just with the Bible, but it comes out of traditions that quite frankly are rooted in some apocryphal books, which they would hold to be inerrant, where some of these things are said. Does that make sense? So we gotta be we wanna be careful there. We're going for the the Goldilocks mean, thinking rightly of Mary. And we'll land there in a moment. Verses thirty-one to thirty-seven. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. By the way, it's such a common name that when she, the angel said, said this, it wouldn't be that she would go, "Oh, this is going to be a special child." Honestly, in our day, it would be, "And you're going to call him his name Jeff or John or Je- you know, I mean? it's just be a, a name." But then he goes on, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin, since I know not a man, since I have not had sexual intercourse with a man, how is this going to be? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, here's a sign, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Two things are clear, I've mentioned one already, According to Mary, no matter how you read this, we've gotta come to what Mary's response tells us, and that is Mary said, this is gonna happen to me apart from a man. This is gonna happen to me apart from physical intercourse. That's what she understands the angel to be saying. The conception will be by the overshadowing of the spirit. By the way, that word's used in the, in the cloud when it overshadowing and came upon the, the, the tabernacle. It's, it's the cloud enveloping Jesus and disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. I can't explain this, I don't, no one can explain this, but it's clearly a, a, a work by which the spirit is, so, is present and by the spirit, she is pregnant. Secondly, Mary knows her son is the long-promised Messiah. Right? I said earlier when, when he said you'll name him Jesus, that, that wouldn't have sent, you know, that wouldn't have had her thinking anything other than she's gonna have a son with a very common name. But how do you take the rest of it? He'll be great, called the son of the most high, will give him the throne of his father David, will reign over Israel forever, his kingdom will have no end, he's gonna be called holy, the son of God. Y'all, Mary knows that what the angel has said is you are going to birth the promised Messiah. You say, well, she was just 12 to 14 years old. She was a 12 to 14 year old Hebrew Jewish girl. Well aware of the the promises of Messiah. In the same way that, you know, these kids that were up here singing, you could probably ask, Any of them, you know, who lives in the White House, White, capital W, capital H, not yours, but the White House, and they'd say the president because that's what they're taught, and it's what they know. Mary, oh yes, she, it it dawns on her, this is the promised Messiah. Y'all, I I find it fascinating, and we could go back into this, but you know, in Genesis 3, when God, said there will be a man born of a woman who will crush the serpent's head this This is millennia ago that when Eve had her boy, the first human born, that her exclamation, James Montgomery Boyce describes it like this, and when she you know what she says when she has the boy and the name she gives for eve it's it's not like I have a son. Eve basically said. Here he is. you go, "Well, here who is. The one that God just promised was going to deliver and crush the serpent. Was he? Was he? He wasn't. Now, now go thousands of years with that hope, buried appropriately within every Hebrew woman, that, that, that this birth may be the Messiah. I mean, that, they, they, they bore that, no pun intended. that was in their. Heart. I said earlier, the sign that, that, that he gives is, the angel gives is, you know, Elizabeth, your relative who's barren, you know, she's barren. You know that she's too old to have kids. She's pregnant. Then comes one of the most assuring promises in the Bible and one of the most misunderstood and misapplied for Nothing will be impossible with God. How about that to hang on to? The problem is that we misunderstand it. We misapply it, and quite frankly, it can become something that actually undermines your faith. What do you mean it can undermine my faith? Well, this, it could be, for nothing is impossible with God. And we ask God for things that we know he, can, he could do, can do, and, and, and he doesn't do, and, and then he doesn't do it. And we begin, you know, this so could undermine, can I really trust him? I thought he would, I thought he was good. And he can do anything, you know, and we can hold, hold our, our fist up and it can undermine our faith. We often take this verse to mean that he, he'll, he'll heal the sickness. He'll remove the cancer. He'll restore the relationship. He'll save the marriage. He'll provide the money that you need. He's gonna get you the job you were asking, on and on and on and on. That's not what the verse is inviting us to hold. It's not what the verse is inviting us to trust. The Greek word nothing is the word rima. The Greek word "rema" is is the Greek word for word. It's it's the word. It's what the what it's saying is. It's impossible that any word of God should fail. Let me say it another, Let me say it another way. No purpose, or plan of God will fail. God's spoken will will be done. Okay, that, that's what it's saying. That's what it's inviting us to trust. If you wanna know God's will, then this, this is where we find it. Our greatest confidence, you all, our, our surest hope, I mean, the only, honestly, the only place to put your, put your faith in mine is that God cannot fail to bring forth what he purposes. That's, that's our hope. Let me, give it, let me give you God's purpose in a nutshell. You know, there's more than this, but I'm trying to give it to us in a way that we can kind of get a hold of. So you go, well, then I, I wanna know the purpose of God. I need to know that. And by the way, you'll find it here. But look on the screen and, and, and note this statement that I've written. Here's what God has purposed. He has said that he will bring his kingdom to this earth and a people to himself who will rule and reign with him in that kingdom forever. He said that. He has promised that one day he will set all things right forever. He has said that. He has given his word that for those who trust his son, he orchestrates all that happens in such a way that it serves their good and his glory forever. He has spoken that, that that will be. I'm not saying Mary knew all of this. I'm I'm not saying that. I don't think she knew all of this. But I'm saying her response that we are getting ready to read tells me that this this was in her heart at some level to say what she then says. That's verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. May it be to me according to your word. Guess what that word in Greek is? Rima. Mary's trust in what God, is in what God has spoken, nothing more, nothing less. Now I wanna put the differences between Mary and Zechariah back up and let us sit with this for a moment. If you were a betting woman or a betting man, which I'm sure no one in the room is, see a little, I always know there is because we can giggle about it. It's not a trick question, but just to help us engage this text. If you had these two and you looked up there at what's going on and what the story is saying, and you said, which of these, Zechariah or Mary, is going to respond in faith when God speaks, who would you pick? I, I, I think you would pick Zachariah. I think that's why he's put these stories together in part. Is you're going, well, the, the guy that's the priest that's righteous that's in the temple in Jerusalem in di- Judea, that's who's gonna respond. But what do we know? What do we know about these two stories? No, not really. <laughs> Zechariah, Zechariah, according to the angel, responded with unbelief, right? We can't ignore that. That's what the angel said. Whereas Mary she responds with one of not the most sublime and gettable statement of faith in the whole Bible. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Remember, Zechariah said, how can I know? And and it tells us that Zechariah wasn't sure it would happen. Mary's response earlier, you know, how will this be? It seems was a curious question of the means of how God's gonna do this. After their responses, Zechariah couldn't speak. but Mary Mary could, and she does, by the way, if you keep reading the story. <laughs> Two things to note in that statement. First, faith requires accepting that you're a servant of God. Faith requires accepting that you're a servant of God. So when we think about, okay, how do I live biblical faith? Well, it, it, it's grounded in this acceptance that I'm a servant of God. And again, these words I know are, are can maybe hit us wrong or they're hard to hear, but I'm gonna use them because the Bible uses them and let's keep them in their context and how they're used. Mary accepted that she was a bond slave of Christ. Mary accepted that she was not the master of her own universe, but that she had one. It was that ground from which she spoke out, I'm a bond slave of the Lord. And, and when she did that, please note, She was saying, my future is not my own. That's what she's saying. Whatever happens, it's not not my plan. It is God's promises that will be. Faith requires accepting that you're a servant of God. You know what's a good thing to do when you find yourself getting ready to take a step of faith? or if you sense the Lord leading you or or an interaction, anything, you know, and you go, this is, our whole life is by faith. Might be good to ask at least these two questions. One, hey, do I see myself as a servant of God in this situation? Put yourself in a conversation, in an interaction that's difficult or whatever. You pause and say, wait, I'm the servant of God. So something that comes out of your mouth when you put yourself in that place, I think will be different than if you don't see yourself as a servant. Secondly, you could say, am I, am, I, am I the one in charge? And for the Christ follower, the answer is no. Secondly, I'll say this faith is an act of surrender to God's word as the final word. It's an act of surrender to God's word as the final word. Let it be to me according to your word. You remember that song Kesurah Sirah." What's the next phrase? Kesara, Yeah, yeah, this is not Mary saying, you know, kesara, whatever will be, no, no, no. This is Mary saying, whatever you've said will be. That's her confidence in her faith. You know, I think this is, I'm gonna go into a little conjecture here, but I think it's, I think it can be grounded biblically. I think Mary spoke of these things with her boy. She's a mom. She's raising a son fully fully God, fully human, but she bore parental responsibilities to raise him in the wisdom and admonition of God. By the way, Mary had no easy life. We think Joseph died when Jesus was a child. Again, can't be sure, but he's he's nowhere to be found. We think... probably passed away. They lived in a country that was occupied. They didn't have a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? They had a hard go of it. In all likelihood, she lost children, you know, as most women in those days would have and did. But I think she talked to him about these things. And one of the reasons I say that is what comes out of his mouth in his hour of greatest need. Not my will, but yours be done. Where did he get that? Well, yes, the spirit, yes, but he's fully human. Where did he get that? That sounds so much to me like, let it be to me according to your word. Y'all, when we were planning this Advent series, we titled this fourth message, Make Room for Yes. And I think that still holds true, that you and I might make room for yes when God invites us to trust him for whatever it can be, regardless the cost. And boy, I could spend the next 30 minutes talking about what this yes cost Mary. You know, don't stand back and say, well, gosh, I mean, she was the mother of the Messiah. She's the luckiest person in the world. Really? To see your son do what he did? No, you know, Simeon's gonna say a sword's gonna pierce your heart. That's what's that's that's you're gonna be your lot in life. But it is, it is make room for yes, but I'm amending it. And I'm amending it because as I spent time in the passage this week, I said, I'm, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna offer it this as, as, as really the message. It's make room for his word to make room for your yes. Make room for, for his word. When, when you've made room for his word and it's in you and you hear his voice and you, you read his promises, you make room for that in your life, then it's the yes because your yes is to the word he's spoken. Even in those, you're not gonna look at your circumstances and go, I don't know, that's hard. No, you're gonna go, this is what he said. This is what I can trust. I'll say yes to God by faith. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up because we will conclude with a song of response, an opportunity to articulate in song what perhaps the spirit is moving in our hearts. As they make their way up here, I'm to ask you to think about this. Would you pause a moment and ask the Spirit to show you what it would mean today, this coming week, for you to make room for the Word? I don't know what that would mean for you personally, but the Spirit does. What, what would the Spirit be prompting you to do, to make room for his word. Just consider that for a moment and then we'll sing. Father, would you, by your spirit, help us to know how to make room for your word? Perhaps it's reading it. Perhaps sure, scripture memory. Perhaps it's pausing to think about your word rather than let it just slip by, whatever it may be. May your word become so precious to us that our yes just rolls off our lips. And we trust you. Let's stand together. We get a special treat as we respond this morning. We've got... Jonathan Yakaboski up here. I wanted you to see him because last service I had everybody stand and the whole time we were singing, you heard that voice, and everyone in the back's wondering, who's who's singing? That's the voice of a child. When we say yes to God's word, okay, when we say yes, faith, what happens is we become more like Jesus. That's the point. to become more conformed to his image. And in doing so, we're going to sing these words, magnify him. It's not that we can less of who we are. It's simply that Christ becomes more evident as he shapes us. We are so ready to go. Let that be our song.